0: Welcome, football fans.
1: Buckle up for another hard-hitting episode of Player 54 Podcast, a show focused solely on the XFL. From a sunny southwest Florida studio, here's your host, Michael Lythra.
0: Hello, football fans. This is episode 53, We Have Players. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Royal Retros by 503 Sports. Royal Retros are the king of throwbacks. Royal Retros by 503 Sports provides a line of merchandise from legendary defunct leagues such as the XFL 1.0. If you have always wanted to get yourself a quality Las Vegas Outlaws He Hate Me or Los Angeles Extreme Tommy Maddox jersey, perhaps even an OG XFL's Team's t-shirt, we have you covered. Simply click on the link provided in the show's description and notes and enter the code Talk XFL" at checkout to receive 10% off your purchase. This week, we finally have more XFL developments which are football-related. Later in the show, I will be joined by Shady Sports Network founder Sam Just to discuss the XFL draft and everything surrounding it. But first, we have those developments to cover. So, let's get to it. On November 15th, the XFL announced their quarterback assignments for the 2023 season. To recap, they are as follows. Arlington Renegades, Drew Plitt of Ball State. And Kyle Slaughter from Northern Colorado. D.C. Defenders, Eric Dungey out of Syracuse. Houston Roughnecks with Caleb Elby out of Western Michigan. And Brandon Silvers out of Troy. Vegas Vipers with Jalen McClendon out of Baylor and Luis Perez from Texas A&M Commerce. The Orlando Guardians with Quinton Dormandy out of Central Michigan and DeAndre Francois from Hampton and Florida State. The San Antonio Brahmas with Juwan Pass out of Prairie View A&M and Louisville, as well as Anthony Russo out of Michigan State. The Seattle Dragons with Ben Denucci from James Madison and Steven Montez from Colorado and the St. Louis Battlehawks with A.J. McCarron out of Alabama and Ryan Willis from Virginia Tech. Then, on November 16th, the league held its first day of the XFL draft at UFC Apex in Enterprise, Nevada. The first day consisted of four segments, offensive skill, defensive backs, defensive front seven, and offensive lines for a total of 44 rounds. Then, on November 17th, the league conducted their second day of the XFL draft. The selections consisted of two segments, specialist with three rounds and open phase with an undetermined amount of rounds. The XFL also shared that 442 players are set to begin camp in January of 2023. The league will also conduct a supplemental draft in January, which coincides with the conclusion of the National Football League season and the expiration of some USFL player contracts. If you'd like to see each of the team's selections, visit XFL.com and click on the draft tab. Then, on November 19th, Las Vegas Review-Journal writer Adam Hill wrote a piece titled Dwayne, The Rock Johnson, Bullish on Las Vegas, XFL. In the article, Hill shares various quotes from Dwayne, The Rock Johnson, and Russ Brandon. But he also touched on the ongoing Vegas Viper stadium dilemma with the following. The Vipers still haven't formally announced where they'll be playing games when the season starts in February. But sources close to the league indicate their preferred venue has been selected and contractual details are being worked out. This information may somewhat help fans relax. However, it is obvious nothing has been finalized as of Saturday. As I had previously mentioned, I will now be joined by Shady Sports Network founder Sam Just to discuss the XFL draft and everything surrounding it. For those who may not be aware of him, Sam has established himself as a respected alternative football media member. He is well-connected with various alternative football leagues, coaches, and players. Fans are likely familiar with his work as a host and writer, either at Shady Sports Network or on the XFL News Hub family of websites. Welcome, Sam. I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show to discuss the XFL draft and everything surrounding it.
1: Absolutely. Happy to be here today.
0: That's awesome. It's definitely a pleasure. Before we get into Wednesday and Thursday selection or selections, let's dive into Tuesday's quarterback assignments. To recap, they are as follows. Arlington Renegades had drew Plitt, a ball state. Kyle Slaughter from Northern Colorado, who also is a U- had played with the USFL New Orleans Breakers. DC Defenders took or allocated only Eric Dungy out of Syracuse. Houston Roughnecks had Caleb Elby out of Western Michigan. Brandon Silvers from Troy, who had previously played in a ton of spring football leagues, and but with the, lastly, the XFL Seattle Dragons. The Vegas Vipers had Jalen McClendon out of Baylor. Luis Perez out of Texas A&M Commerce, also a former XFL player, but Another USFL player with the New Jersey Generals. The Guardians, Orlando Guardians, took Quentin Dormady out of Central Michigan. Also, as well as DeAndre Francois, who had played at Hampton and Florida State. The San Antonio Brahmas had Jawan Pass out of Prairie View AM and Louisville. Anthony Russo out of Michigan State. The Seattle Dragons had. Ben DiNucci uh, out of James Madison. I believe he also had what some time with the Cowboys in the National yes, Football sir. League. Uh, we have Steven Montez out of Colorado. Also has uh, some uh, NFL ties. And lastly, we have the St. Louis Battlehawks with E.J. McCarron, former Alabama and you know journeyman in the NFL, and Ryan Willis out of Virginia Tech. Did I get Definitely. those right? I believe so. Okay, I know that it wasn't the test here, so we'll move on. Um, obviously, the interesting part there is uh, for me, a lot of these names were previously reported by XFL News Hubs, Mike Mitchell, as far as where you know who they might be and where they might end up. So, not a lot of surprises. We didn't get all the names that uh, Mike Mitchell had reported, but we also got. Some surprises. One looks like DC defenders are going to sit tight for uh, De'Ara King, and that sounds like that might be another one of um, Mike Mitchell's likelihoods to happen. But we'll have to see what happens now that he is uh, last minute signed with you know an NFL team. But that's also kind of weird because it just seems like it's a missed opportunity. If he does sit there, you know, then it kind of puts the defenders um, at a slight disadvantage, you know, that's really relying on on Dungy. But the biggest surprise, and I think we touched base on this a little bit on during your draft show, are the USFL guys. And, you know, Luis Perez, Kyle Slaughter. Slaughter did really, really well with the USFL. Like that just seems like he, you know, he gave up something that he clearly had his job solidified, and so okay. here he is making a making a, a jump over here for a new system, right? Which that could always mess with a, 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 you know, a player in a production. So that's a gamble, but that's that's a huge gift for the XFL. And Luis Perez is the ultimate, also journeyman of the alternative football leagues. I mean, he's been what? Yeah, the spring league he's been uh, you know usfl xfl back to the xfl so i think he's always been a solid quarterback it just kind of sometimes takes him a little bit of time to either get his opportunity with the team like what we saw with the guardians but even he's doing some split time with the new jersey generals i mean what are your thoughts i just kind of went on a ramble there but what are your thoughts with these selections slash assignments because you know i'm hearing it
1: both ways So once again, shout out to Mike Mitchell, uh, who I actually work with at XFL News Hub. Uh, One of the best in the game, personally, in my opinion. Um, But he actually mentioned Kyle Sloater before the draft as well, or before the assignment period. And I was like, man, I don't know about that one. Kyle Sloater, why would he leave the USFL? And then sure enough, as per usual, Mike was right uh, because he does his homework. But uh, that was a surprising move to me because... Uh, recently we saw the USFL hire a new head coach for the breakers. And if you look at the background for Kyle Slaughter and John Filippo, who was just hired by the breakers, they've crossed paths twice before. So this was very much a move to kind of try and appease Kyle Slaughter. And in my personal opinion, keep him in the USFL because they knew he had interest in Arlington. I mean, uh, I'm not, not to throw any shade at Mike because it's not shade, but if he knew, the USFL guaranteed knew Sloter was looking into the XFL opportunities because he probably tried to pursue more money with them, uh, with the USFL before leaving. Um, because that, I mean, that's just, that makes perfect sense to me. I mean, why wouldn't you before ultimately jumping into a new situation? And then when it came to Luis Perez, um, I actually knew he had shown up at the San Diego showcase. Uh, I knew a couple of players that were at the event and they talked about how he had been there and he was trying to get reps in with the quarterbacks, and then the officials at the showcase kind of hustled him aside. And I knew just based on that situation alone and the fact that he had not resigned with the generals, he was most likely going to be in uh, the XFL. I didn't make the connection that Joey Clingsales, his former GM in LA, was in Vegas, and that would probably be where he'd end up, but Yet another thing that Mike was right on board with. He, he knew immediately where Luis was going to be and everything like that. So I, I definitely think while they were on the surface surprising, I think they're both great moves. And, I mean, you're you're talking about two of the most veteran established quarterbacks in that league. And I think it's a good move by the XFL to kind of try and poach that talent. So.
0: Aside from the USFL, right, that's it's the big billboard sticker shock, I think, for the most part, right? We can dig into the, you know, the minutiae of whatever, right, and the connections that Mike has. And Mike is as connected as anybody can be. He is the Adam Scheffner of the XFL or alternative football because he's connected for the USFL and even covers uh, what the Argonauts up in the CFL and all that. So, I mean, yep. Mike is as connected in this alternative football world as anybody and for whatever reason you know he doesn't get all the uh attention and accolades that he actually deserves from everybody because some people kind of still oh he's just you know he's just an alternative football guy he's just you know some blog writer because that's you know how a lot of us just podcast hosts and blog mm-hmm. writers right so but he is no different than adam Schefter, right so i mean let's take a Not moment at all props and, I, and i've had I've had Mike on the show once several months back and Mike is great. I mean, just to even talk to him off, off the actual record. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I we probably talked for an extra hour and this Mike is very knowledgeable and just awesome to share how he, you know, kind of works, you know, the room and connects with people and stuff like that. So it's, it's really, he's as
1: professional as it gets. And that's the word. Mike is a professional. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. You hit that nail on the head. Uh, One of the big things that I thought was kind of cool when I first kind of joined the XFL News Hub group is Mike's very big about promoting the right way to do things. So... He, even though he has no real official status as an editor or some, anything like that, he's simply on the same level as the rest of us writers. He's very big about telling people to not burn your sources. You know, when somebody tells you not to release something, you need to respect that because we as a, a news site cannot be burning these sources for XFL News Hope long term and stuff like that. And it's it's very important for all of us as a group Um to adhere to that policy because in order to, you know, create these connections, these relationships, these guys will give you stuff that you cannot release, but they'll give you, you know, three, four things that you can release. So it's just a matter of being very clear cut on what's acceptable and what's not acceptable.
0: Right. That's where being a professional comes from. And it's, you know, I know every once in a while I get people DMing me and stuff talking about, Hey, what are you hearing? Oh, I'm, I hear some things I'm not, I'm not Mike Mitchell hearing things. Okay. But I mean, like there's, I've connected with several agents along the way. Right. And then agents are connected with a lot of coaches and, per, you know, team personnels, and you know, wherever. So I'm hearing things, but it, you know what? They're telling you, it's not, you know, don't, don't say anything. I mean, how many times do we have conversations with our friends? Like, Hey, yeah, FYI this, but Hey, you didn't hear that from me, right? So, I mean, you exactly. have to respect that, right? If you're going to go anywhere and be anything, you know, trustworthy and whatnot, that's the world we live in. So, I understand sometimes people want news and, well, who's your source? Well, okay. You know, I, I'm a fan first and I've been there, right? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Is this legit? Who's your source? Well, now being in the shoes that I am, I understand it completely different because if you want any information, you got to
1: play the game, and that's what it is. It's, it's a game. It's a professional game. Yes, it is, and you put that perfectly because, uh, as a fan, I was the exact same person. I was, hey, where'd you get this information? Why? Do, why is it that you're the only person reporting this, and I don't see this anywhere else, et cetera, et cetera? And then, you know, eventually, over time, those guys that are doing that build that reputation of, hey. These are the people you want to follow to find the information like Mike Mitchell. I mean, because, you know, he might not give you his sources all the time, but when he's consistently right over and over and over again, you you can't ignore his track record. So uh, I'm kind of trying to do the exact same thing because there's been some stuff that I've had to break. Um, but it was one of those things where it's like I can either wait and uh, do it the right way or I can not wait and potentially be the first person. And, you know, there's been some situations where it's really frustrating. You're like, man, I've been sitting on this for so long. It's time to release it. But uh, you kind of just got to keep it close to the vest and know that if you burn your sources, you're basically useless in the the news world because it's going to get around very quickly. Alt alt football is a a very small, tight-knit community when it comes to stuff like that.
0: And... (laughs) Part of it is, yeah, we gotta we gotta learn that, right? When you're fresh to the game, like because I'm I don't come from a media background, I, you know, or even I took some communication classes in college, but I don't have a communications degree or journalism you no know, degree or anything like that. So, you know, people like us coming in, you know, we're learning that, and I know we're here for the draft, so we don't go on this whole tangent. But um, it, it's it's just the reality of it, right? We just gotta learn the ways and be coached and have the best mentors possible and all figuring it out let's reel it back into the draft here of course of course this past week so of those quarterback selections or assignments which particular quarterback stood out to you the most
1: Uh, So there was actually a couple. First of all, I'm obviously a huge fan of Steven Montez, given the fact that I'm from Colorado. Uh, Not a lot of CU guys get looks at the NFL level. So I'm always going to root for Montez. Uh, He's been around the block, Washington, Detroit. Uh, Now he's with Seattle. I think that's a really good opportunity with him. Um, I think that he might possibly be the day one starter with everybody they've got currently, even though the rest of those guys are, you know, bottom end, uh, borderline NFL talent as well. Um, Another guy that I was kind of surprised to see was AJ McCarron. Um, I hadn't really heard a whole lot of whispers around him. I mean, I knew that he was a possibility just given his status within the NFL, but uh, I, I ultimately thought he had made enough money during his NFL career that he would probably look past the XFL. But that's one of those things about alt football is you never really know. There's always kind of a question if if a guy made enough during his NFL career that he's going to look past the league like the XFL. But um, it's it's encouraging to see that A.J. McCarron is realizing the opportunities that the XFL provides because I'm willing to bet he wants to get back into the NFL. Um, And then one more DeAndre Francois. So I knew that we were going to see a lot of FCF guys. I had heard a lot of whispers about all of them getting a ton of interest, but I ultimately wasn't completely sold on Francois getting an opportunity because he's kind of a uh, a dual-threat quarterback that lacks a little bit of accuracy in the passing game. So while the XFL might be a perfect opportunity for him to develop as a quarterback, I just ultimately didn't see him being assigned. Now, selected in the open rounds, that made a little bit more sense to me, but uh, they actually added another quarterback which we'll talk about later that intrigues me as well.
0: McCarron at 32, right? He's one of the few 30 or you know over 30s. I was really shocked, right? I mean yeah if if you're hungry, you love the game, you just want to play or if it's you have that end game that you still think you got something to show to an NFL you know team. But 32, that's fairly late in the game to try to go back to try to prove but i mean it makes sense you look at him his numbers are not bad when he actually has played in the nfl the numbers are statistically he's been he's been decent not phenomenal but he's been you know he doesn't have like a crazy number of interceptions to touchdowns or anything but i mean he he's been all right so I think it's a good fit because, you know, we're looking at all these teams as developmental, but what do we also need for development? We need veterans. So even if he doesn't take the starting gig, which I'm assuming it's going to be his to begin, I mean, it's, it just it looks that way to me. But if you look at it, Brian Willis, you know, could he get something from a veteran? Like McCarron, yeah, I think that makes sense. Where other teams kind of either have similar, like you know Montez and Danucci, they yeah, they're similar experience, right? And in the NFL and whatever, now back in the exit. But you just I'm looking at it and I'm like, you know, that's the only team that really give a true veteran, somebody that had been in the NFL for a while didn't really bounce back and forth. So, I mean, you know, that's, that's about it. I mean, the other shocker is, um, Eric Dungy. I, you know, I like him. He's a, he's always been a dual threat. Guy. the thing he's, he's just, that's the only guy you got in the allocation or so that you selected. However, that really worked out because we were being told they were being assigned. And then the, the advertising as a selection, um, He he holds a lot of records at Syracuse. You know, I don't know how many people realize that they weren't necessarily the greatest teams, but statistically in Syracuse, he did well, did very well. But he's injury prone, so that's the other thing. It's just his style of play. He's smash mouth, like he does not hold back. He he is a highlight reel guy. If you're going to get a highlight, Dungy will lay it all on the line. You know, he'll try to hurdle players or just. You know, barrel people over if he's going to just go for it, you know, not just throw the ball, but he's going to take off on a scramble or whatever. So, I mean, that's intriguing stuff. So will he get that primary spot to actually show that? Because he could be a real good guy for footage. ESPN, right? That'd be the type of guy that that makes those flamboyant plays that just everyone's like, did you see that? Exactly. Yeah, so I mean, like, if he's given the opportunity, he could be that guy. Is he ever going to be a star? I, I don't know. But that style of play could be very interesting if the league is looking for somebody to showcase. Absolutely.
1: Um, one of the things that I would be curious to know, and, you know, it'd be awesome to be a fly on the wall or and and or Mike Mitchell because he probably knows. But, uh, like, we, we all assume that De'Ara King will eventually be with um, – the xfl so i'm wondering if he's already got a playbook and stuff like that if they're already giving him the opportunity to start learning because everybody assumes he'll be there the only thing that would really throw a wrench in this plan at this point is if he's signed to the active roster for carolina or another team and stays there um because if he's still on the practice squad by the end of the season i think it's in his best bet to go to the xfl and get playing time and prove that he can play quarterback because i think that's one of the big questions about De'Aaron king right now you know, He played wide receiver in college, then he moved back to quarterback, and he played fairly well, but he also had injuries in there. So now it's kind of a question, are you even an NFL or XFL quarterback, or are you kind of a, a split position player where you're going to do a bunch of different things? So um, I personally think that Houston's quarterback room or DC's quarterback room, sorry about that, uh, is going to be very exciting. Uh, Like you said, Dungy's a a mobile guy. King's a mobile guy. I would assume anybody else they bring in is going to be a a dual threat mobile guy. So that's going to be a team to watch this season for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's that big NFL contract, right? And Not even to be the the, the starter, right, guarantee. That NFL contract's kind of tough to pass up. So if that does get offered, right, if he does make that active, the 53-man roster, it's going to be tough for him to not take it and whether the XFL could be the opportunity for him to really showcase and put together, you know, some good footage and kind of prove himself. But yeah, it all comes down to if that's offered and that could be where the defenders are kind of in, in limbo, but you're right. It it likely
1: is Derek King's going to be with uh, DC. Absolutely. Uh, And just to your point right there, I mean, you're talking about, even on a practice squad, these guys are making almost double the XFL money. I mean, they're making about $12,000 a week on the practice squad. In the XFL, quarterbacks are probably making somewhere between $5,500 uh, to somewhere in the 7-8 range. So, I mean, that in itself, how can you turn that down? I mean, that's, that's a good substantial amount of money every week. And then, you know, in the ter- in the long term, like we talked about, he could still go to the XFL and then he's double dipping on both the NFL money and the XFL money. Suddenly he's into, tri- you know, six figures, even though he didn't really play in the NFL. So I'm also a little intrigued with Kurt Benkert
0: because he was a guy that was mentioned early on and he even put out that little Instagram video that kind of hinted, you know, there's something about being – playing and being the guy right trying to let my voice kind of sound similar like his. but he's now what been released by the 49ers so he could be back available and if I recall his Twitter feed or social media he was posting that one point he was on he was listed or ranked as the guy for one XFL team I don't know who it would have been I really personally don't have any contacts to tell me. But if there is an allocation spot yet to potentially still be given, and let's even say De'Aaron Kings, I know he doesn't necessarily fit that dual threat role. I mean, he's not that same player, but he could be another guy that could potentially be allocated later on if it comes down to it. I mean, there's a plenty of quarterbacks technically, but. I could see him expressing his interest or alluding to the possibility of it could make him a front runner.
1: Definitely. I actually thought there was an opportunity for him to be selected in the open rounds of the draft on Thursday Um, because, you know, he did get released. I think it was like early Tuesday, right before the quarterback assignments were announced. So it was one of those things where there was not enough time for him to get into the assignment, but You know, the fact that he didn't go in the open rounds doesn't mean he's not going to go to the XFL either. We got that supplemental draft in January, which eventually I think is going to be where we're going to see a lot of NFL and possibly a lot more USFL names. So I think that's going to be a very exciting draft to watch as well.
0: So you mentioned the USFL again, I know briefly. So I just want to kind of not to beat a dead horse, so to speak. But, you know, despite there being rumors of the USFL quarterbacks. Could likely be headed to the, the XFL. I assumed there wouldn't have been as many, but seeing that Luis Perez and Slaughter and looking at the coaches, you know, um, the number of coaches that had made the, the shift, Brontyamu now is being reported as another possible guy, right? That Brian be, Scott. Yeah, you know, we got a bunch of these guys. You just sit here and you think, well, Scott, we have already known. He was kind of with the um, Jordan Palmer kind of working out and stuff. Yeah. So we've seen that kind of leak. Well, now we see all these other guys making the draft, right? Made themselves available, ultimately got selected. And who knows how many more, right? Supplemental draft coming down the line. In your opinion...
1: How is this actually impacting both leagues? So I got a lot of flack a while back on Twitter because I said that the XFL was ahead of the USFL already. And uh, as I said, you know, off camera, I'm a bigger USFL fan than I am an XFL fan. So I don't say this lightly. I say this because it's how the players perceive things. And if you wanted any more indication of that, look at the 18 players that were just selected by the XFL From the USFL, those guys were the top, the cream of the crop from the USFL last season because those guys were the ones that signed with the NFL teams. They got the opportunity to go back to NFL. They were released by those teams and that made them a free agent. That's the only reason we even see any USFL players in the XFL right now, Uh, because if it weren't for that, they would still be under contract with USFL until December 31st when all the contracts toll. The new league year starts and they become free agents and have to opt back into the season two for the USFL. So when that happens right before the supplemental draft for the XFL, a lot of these guys have already told me behind the scenes, they will be pursuing the XFL. And these are prominent players in the USFL. Uh, A guy that actually came on our draft coverage. You can catch him saying it himself. Cody Brown, the safety from the Philadelphia stars. He's, specifically word for word said he would be pursuing the XFL after his contract ended. So that's at least one more player. And I can tell you there's somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, another hundred to 200 players that looked into the XFL. Now I'm not saying all those guys land there. um, But, you know, obviously these guys agents are doing the right thing by, you know, vetting all options. But, you know, I could see as many as, somewhere in the ballpark of 50 players making the leap from the USFL to the XFL. And, uh, you know, a lot of that has to do with the arrangement, the XFL has. I mean, with the fact that they have all their teams or at least seven of eight teams playing in host cities that we know of for sure at this point, it's just a better setup that for players than what the USFL is currently. Plus we also know that they're, they're paying for all of their housing. They're also paying more per week per game. Um, So why wouldn't you at least look into your options there? And uh, a lot of these guys in the USFL have ties back to coaches or GMs or whatever it may be in the XFL uh, guys like, you know, Brandon Barnes who uh, played in the 2020 XFL with the Wildcats uh, has that connection. Joey clink sales, uh, Cody Brown, who played for Randy Mueller in Seattle um, who is currently in Seattle. I believe he was with Dallas the first time around. I'd have to double check that information. Um, so there's a lot of these players that will be making the leap. It's just only a matter of time before we see who exactly is going to be gone and how the USFL has to restock. But um, with that being said, I think it's kind of shaking out a tier system. So basically the NFL is top dog always, obviously. And then right now you kind of have the XFL in this, uh, vying for that second spot with the USFL. Um, the USFL and the CFL kind of seem to be like third Almost uh, at this point for players, and then after that you have the indoor leagues. So it, it's kind of interesting to see how it's working. But I think the writing was on the wall for this to be happening long before the XFL actually drafted.
0: What I find interesting is we've kind of seen two leagues that are always kicking off the season just before the XFL gets around now. This time around, the third iteration, the XFL, pushed back its start. So I guess 2022 should have technically been it. However, the USFL had all the opportunity in the world to get their contract situation squared away before. When they had to come out with those amended contracts, I knew right then and there, there there was an opportunity. I didn't know all the the wording, right, because I didn't see any contract. But I knew there was, they realized they had made a mistake. They knew that they were going to lose some people. Now thinking about it more and more. I'm surprised there's not way more USFL guys uh, taken on Wednesday and Thursday. However, that supplemental draft is probably going to have another good number of them. You know, as as well as NFL cast off. Exactly. Probably what we're going to see is probably very loaded. I know I've told a lot of the guys that I've interviewed uh, in the lead up that really were just looking for an opportunity. I tell everyone, keep your chin up. No, there is still a supplemental draft, but I do think it's going to be very heavy. I think a lot of these guys that were complete outliers before, it's going to be very few and far between. They're probably going to be taken in a supplemental draft if if they do at all. But there technically is an opportunity there. So, yeah, I I agree with you. And it's not because I'm an XFL show. I think the XFL – for whatever reason, just totally s- separated themselves and without even playing one down. I think they have now just somehow taken coaches, players, and they're not done, you know, taking more of them. So, but the good news for the USFL, I think, is that the XFL just unearthed a lot of people from one of those rocks. They were digging. And a lot of these guys are now essentially in the in the forefront. What I mean is they have already shared their draft, their inclusion into the draft pools and stuff like that. So if the USFL hadn't been looking at some of these guys, I think now the XFL just unearthed enough of them that, okay, they digged in on all this breakaway data at these uh, showcases. You know, the, this is where the USFL should be. Taking advantage of the XFL's work, right if the XFL just took advantage of your t- taking your top players, this is where the USFL should be taking advantage of what the XFL their their hard work, their sweat, you know elbow grease, whatever just dig in there and start okay let's look at each of these guys let's get out in, in contact and I made sure on my shows previously I give all my player guests the opportunity to share their representation. Because I knew not everybody would make it. So if anyone is looking, there are ways to make sure you get it. Look whatever podcast they went out to, whatever, dig out. There are some guys. I'm shocked. Isaiah Houston, out of uh, the IFL, Arizona Rattlers. Yeah, guy is a freak talent. And I'm not yep. just saying it because he's on. He's on my. He was on my show. The guy is a freak talent. His vertical. If just watch, just watch him. How did he not get taken in the open rounds? It blows my mind. Yeah, I, we're, we're, we're going to get into stuff deeper. That's, I don't care if you play arena, indoor, whatever version, what league. When you have that type of speed and athleticism, those are the guys you take a gamble on. Those yes. guys are going to be the next stars. They're good. That talk about highlight reel. That guy could be just that. So we can get into whoever. There's a lot of guys with speed and stuff out there. Like, just, Use the XFL's work. That's just the best thing. So the USFL's down, but they're not completely out. So you got to now just take advantage of what the XFL, you No, know, uncovered.
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think you put it a perfect way, um, which is a big reason why I think the XFL never publicized their entire draft pool because they knew the USFL was going to be picking and choosing all these players, trying to sign them beforehand if they could, uh, so the, basically, a lot of those XFL draft invite guys, I mean, I've had a couple of them on my show. They got an XFL draft invite. They came on to announce it or talk about it. And then a couple of weeks later, they were signed by the USFL. Uh, a perfect example is tight end Deterian Evans. He signed with the Maulers like two weeks after he got his XFL draft invite. And it was one of those situations where the USFL knew he got his XFL draft invite and there was a very good chance that he might be selected. And they jumped on him. They knew that he was the type of player they wanted in the league. So um, that's another thing to watch. Because like you said, I mean, all these guys that went to the showcases, that got their numbers, that got their video out there, that's now available for the USFL to look at. So that was a huge opportunity for those guys, even if they didn't get selected by the XFL. And I know there's a lot of players out there right now that are hurt that they didn't get drafted. Um, But with one door closing... And another opened. So we watched 18 USFL players leave. I'm talking about many, many more that will be coming soon. You guys should be leaning very heavily on the USFL right now. You know, put all your energy to the USFL until the supplemental draft starts getting closer. And then maybe, you know, dip a little bit back into the XFL. But like you said, that's the pool that's going to have all the USFL guys in it. It's going to have all the NFL castoffs. That's going to be the tougher pool to get into. So when you ultimately are still focused on the XFL. You're closing yourself off to these other opportunities. That might be the USFL, the FCF, the IFL, whatever it may be. Um, But the USFL in particular right now, I think is going to be looking very closely at all those XFL castoffs or the guys that didn't get drafted, not necessarily castoffs. Right. Well,
0: I know to some listeners, it might sound like, you know, we're kind of bagging on. USFL there for a little bit, and that's not wasn't the attention. So let's let's move on. You know, let's get into the rest of the draft. Right? Let's get into the nitty gritty here. Looking at the first round of the skilled positions, which teams, in your opinion, nailed their first selections, and who botched it?
1: Ooh, okay. So I was very very surprised by the pick in Vegas. Obviously, I knew martavis bryant was going to go to some team at some point um i should have known that it was going to be Heinz ward or uh rod woodson due to their steelers ties but martavis bryant is a guy i think that could light this league up we saw what he did in the, the nfl you know in his short time there he was a thousand plus yard receiver almost every season that he was on the field for 16 games. Now that's the issue. If he can stay available for Vegas, I think they could potentially have a dominant team. With Luis Perez's accuracy and Martavis Bryant's ability after the catch, that could be a very scary offense. Um, Abram Smith, that was a guy I was not all that aware of, but after kind of looking into him afterward, uh, he's a very, very good running back. And uh, he's actually a guy that Mike Mitchell zeroed in on the, before the draft, and I had just never heard of him, so I didn't do a lot of research into him beforehand. But turns out that you know he goes first overall. He's a guy that's going to be very exciting to watch. Um, I think the big surprise in the first round was Sal Cannella. Uh, first of all, Arlington taking a tight end first overall was surprising. I mean, obviously, Sal canella can do a lot of different things that your normal tight end maybe can't do. Um, so he's more like a receiver than he is a tight end, specifically, but it also that connection with Kyle Sloter that was very important. And I think that's a big reason why they take him first overall. So I'm excited to see what they can do in Arlington as well. So I'm going to run down each team really quick and just kind of give my little quick thoughts here.
0: So Arlington Renegades, Sal Cannella is really good, right? You've already said it, but a tight end in the first round was just such a bold move that to me, I would never anticipate a tight end in the first round, but I get what you're saying great connection with Slaughter. So, I mean, if you're looking at that, it's not as bad, but it's like it's still a tight end in the first round. The D.C. Defenders, I think, gambled with the overall first pick. Smith is no doubt an athlete, but he only has one solid season of stats as a running back from his college days. So he's not really battle tested as a pro, right? So, I mean, to go with the first overall selection, I mean, that just seems like a, a bit of a Question mark. I'm not saying he shouldn't have gone maybe the second or third round, but um, it just seems like the first overall guy, he is talented, no doubt. But it just he doesn't really have that body of work to really prove it. So that's that's kind of where I'm at. I'm really shocked with that. The Houston Roughnecks with uh Killins is another solid running back, but yeah, another unproven as a professional. So another bold pick for me in the first round. So you're gonna start seeing a little bit of a my mindset is that I'm thinking you should have somebody's a little bit more proven. You know, that's even in the first round, it's just the gamble. I get everyone's looking at freak talents, but I think this is where you kind of got to really rely on proven talent. You're a professional team, right? So I, there's a plenty of it there. Uh, the guardians, I hope I'm wrong. Charleston Rambo, again, a bit unproven, uh, for me is a first round selection. I mean, another talented player. I'm not trying to, Cast any shade on these guys, but it's just like you're going to see or the San Antonio Brahmas. To simply put it, Jacques Patrick is a solid selection because he is a proven back, therefore a safe pick in the first, you know, first round. Uh, the Seattle Dragons, Shaw, is another pick taken too soon in my opinion. Uh, and looking back at his college days, his best statistical season, he only recorded 516 yards and six touchdowns. So, I mean, looking looking at that, just like, okay, athleticism, I get it. I understand all that stuff, but sometimes it's just like, even on paper, I'm just not seeing a first-round selection. I might be wrong. Seattle might tarn feather me for it, but I'm like, I just, I'm not seeing it being that first round. The St. Louis Battlehawks, um, Ipman there is a solid collegiate talent. However, again, I just think it's a little bit early. I'd like to be proven wrong on somebody's ass. Please prove me wrong. Let me eat pro later on, please. And then the Vipers, I think Bryant, it all depends on what version of him you get. Right? Because we you know, he's got a he's got a history, got, got that baggage with him. But it's worth a gamble. At this point, you've seen what he can do. So that's why I'd like it that it was worth a gamble. And you're right. It's not surprising that Woodson would take. Take the chance on them. So um am I wrong? Am I too am I being too hard on the unproven aspects of some of these guys?
1: Uh no, no. Uh one thing I do want to say is that Sal canella, you said that uh, you know, a tight end in the first round was very bold, but I do want to throw out there that I mean, we're talking about a college receiver. I mean, the guy's he was six five, two twenty eight coming out of college. Uh, He made the move to tight end actually in the NFL. I believe it was um, added about, I think like 10 more pounds, 12 more pounds, something like that. So he's a smaller guy, very speedy. So I think there's a reason why they wanted him specifically. Uh, If that was maybe, you know, your typical blocking tight end, we don't see that pick, but uh, Adrian Killens, you are sleeping on him a little bit. Uh, Obviously this is one of these guys that plays close to the vest here. I'm a big Philadelphia Eagles fan. Killens was on the Eagles roster for a couple of years. I believe it was practice squad, actually. And then he went to my hometown, Denver Broncos. So I happen to have followed him quite a bit. He's a guy that is um, he's like Darren Sproul's light. OK, so if you want like a dual threat back, who's going to help you possibly in the return game, in the passing game as a runner, um, you know, he may not be your first back off the bench all the time. But, you know, we'll get to the picks that they had later on that kind of solidify the running back room. But I think that he's electrifying enough in many different ways that even if he doesn't end up being your starter, he's going to get enough of a role on offense and special teams potentially that he's going to be worth the first round pick.
0: Just in case anyone wants to press me for who I think could have been or should have been the first round pick, and these guys. Didn't even go selected at all. This is what kind of blows my mind, right? And I understand everyone has their own history, but Devion Smith, I mean, he led the XFL in 2020. I, I know that whatever went down in the USFL with the chicken salad pizza thing, and there's obviously more to it. I'm just kind of, I've always kind of joked with that. But the reality is, how did he not? Like, he's more proven. Like, he he's a guy that can get the job done. So maybe there's more off the field with him that I'm not aware of, but like, to me, that's a type of guy that I would want to take in the first pick or first round because it's somebody I'm really building around, somebody that can actually do it. You know, I, I understand athleticism and uh, somebody being a prospect, but it's just, but then uh, Mohammed Sanu, another guy that was reported to be, I mean, like, how, how are these type of guys again now? Okay, probably gonna be all part of the supplemental draft if they get selected, but I mean, now those guys are available for the, the USFL to come back around on. So I, I don't know. Those are the type of guys, if somebody's just curious who I think should have been in that type of uh,
1: conversation for selections. That's, that's that's very fair. And there was also uh Terrence Williams out there, too. Former Cowboys receiver, really solid guy in the NFL, had a solid season in the FCF in twenty twenty two. And uh, ultimately, he got his draft invite but did not get selected. Uh, I think you made a great point with Mohamed Sanu. I expected him to be picked. He's extremely versatile. He can do so many different things for an offense that I'm actually extremely surprised that he did not get selected, even in the open rounds. And uh, I would say that if they didn't get selected this time around and they were available, there's a high likelihood that they do not get picked in the supplemental draft, even if they have the NFL experience. But I guess it all depends on how that supplemental draft shakes out. I mean, you know, a lot of these, these teams have already talked to NFL practice squad players. They've already probably solidified some of the guys that aren't necessarily on their roster now, but will be after the NFL season. So, um, that's one of those things that you just don't know exactly how the rosters are going to change from now till January. Oh, there's a lot of time, no doubt. A lot of time. And I mean, they're
0: all figuring out how it's all going to come together. So they're going to be piecing things together for quite some time.
1: Absolutely. So I'm curious, I got a question for you. Do you think it's an advantage to be drafted early on or later on in the supplemental draft, knowing that training camp doesn't start till like January? You know, here's
0: my concern for all of these alternative leagues, these these spring leagues, is the lead-up the teams have had together to prepare for the beginning of the the season. And I think part of why the USFL kind of got a bad uh, reputation out of the gates, and I think maybe the chip in the ball might impact the, the passing game, but we just didn't see a lot of, teams on point right out of the gate there were some teams no doubt that were fine but we just seemed a lot of kind of sluggish stuff so i don't know if the ball was being impacted by especially the quarterback player or whatever but i think the more time that teams have together the better overall product we see on the field And i think with these shortened camps and stuff i mean i get why they're doing the supplemental draft in january i i totally understand you gotta wait for the nfl season to see who's all gonna be available who's not signing on extensions and getting picked up and all that stuff but sooner the better for me. That's just my personal take. So, uh, I hope that answers your question. I I just, I'm I'm always I get you can get better talent, but is it too late to get them incorporated? Especially a playbook. People got to learn the playbook. And it's just chemistry. Quarterbacks haven't thrown with receivers and it's everything's timing. You got it. I mean, I'm a college athlete. I understand you have to understand somebody's speed. Even whether it's kicking a ball, yeah. like I played soccer in college, but the reality is, you got it. That's all chemistry. That's all repetitions together to get in sync. And I, I just wonder, you know, no different than a running back trying to find the holes that open up for his line, right? He's got to know what they expect from his own line. If, if if you're running between the hashes, or you know what your blockers, you know, are going to do. I think there's a lot of team chemistry, and and I'm focusing on the offensive side of the ball because that's the sexy side of the ball. <laughs> right. And, it's just, and that's, I always use that term because that's what all, everyone's always looking at is the scoring and big plays. And stuff. So, of course. After looking at each of these, um, rosters, I mean, we can get into some things a little more. What are your personal takeaways? All right. So now I'm kind of just jumping ahead in, in bulk. Right. I'm not going to go into each round. I mean, if we want to, we can, but I think we could be here literally all day because the draft, yes, took we could all day. Right? <laughs> it did eight and a half right, hours. Yeah. I will never forget it. Right. So, I'm going to try to jump ahead. You know, the first round, okay. I think it was pretty big, but we can start talking to more of a big pitcher situation. Where are your interesting takeaways with, with the draft? I mean, I, there's
1: a lot there to chew on, really. I know it's tough to kind of throw it. It's the big. Um, man, so I would say the trends that developed over the draft. So one of the trends that I saw, and I'm sure everybody else noticed it as well, if you're aware of the FCF, is the Orlando Guard- Guardians are more or less team FCF. By the end of the entire open draft selection process, they had nine players from FCF rosters on their team, um, including two quarterbacks, Mitch Kidd and DeAndre Francois. So I think that was really interesting to see that develop. Um, I'll have to do some digging on the coaching staff and see exactly why they were so connected to the FCF. I mean, cause they selected Andrew Jameel best wide receiver. I mean, they took, uh, I think it's defensive back, Mike Lee, a um, couple other guys that were just very surprising to me um, with the FCF only ending up having 14 players overall in the league to see nine on one roster was very surprising to me. And then on the USFL side of things, um, Arlington, Arlington selected eight USFL players, seven outside of Kyle Slow to the quarterback. And, uh, that in, to me is another big chunk of that USFL group we saw because only 18 of them got selected. So that means the other seven teams have a total of 10 USFL players on them. And then Arlington also leaned very, very heavily on the XFL in 2020. I believe they th- they've got a total of 18 players on their roster that played in the XFL in 2020, including several battle hawks i think five or six of them um and then there's uh two or three dallas renegades as well so bob stoops was playing on the experience that jay hayes jonathan hayes had with these players and then on his own experience he had in dallas previously so i think that was very very intelligent Uh, we talked about the shorter training camps in these spring leagues when you're building a roster from scratch You want player chemistry. So if these guys all played together in St. Louis prior or Dallas before, chances are they're going to know a lot about each other as players. So that's that's a good way to start that that whole learning process. As you spoke about uh, about your teammates and your quarterback to receiver um, connections and stuff like that, because that's it's very important as we kind of prepare for something that's never been done before in the XFL. I mean, completely new rosters, completely new teams, new coaching staffs, et cetera.
0: Deep down in, I, I wanted to see some of the guys in the pool end up back with their teams. And in some cases it did happen, right? From 2020 to 2023. But as an overall, <laughs> hardly any, right? Yeah. So it was like a complete reset. I was kind of hoping the teams like, oh, we're gonna bring in some guys just because, whether for fan and kind of make it feel like we already got the brands. Let's just bring some of the players back, but it didn't. It really didn't happen. I mean, I, I mean, as a Guardians fan, you got um, Mueller ended up with the Renegades. You end up having uh, Luis Perez, obviously an allocation, went to the, the Vipers. You have um, Jake Sutherland end up with, I believe it was the Battle Hawks tight end in the open rounds. So, I mean, like it doesn't doesn't matter how you look at it. They're just they're not guardian, even if the team moved. So it's just, that leaves me whining a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, starting with Arling, Arlington, the Renegades, they are a proven alt-football veteran team, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Slaughter, you have Kenneth Faro, uh Farrow, you have Keith Forward, Flynn Nagel, small, uh, Jordan Smallwood, Sal Canella. I mean, like, you just look. They're going to be a professional team these guys have already been professionals, right? They're, you kind of know what you're getting. Uh, they got a couple, you know, youth guys on it, but you'll have to see how that blends in, but they look to be a solid team. Do I think any uh, Nagel or small word are going to be star receivers? No, but I think they're gonna be solid receivers, but you know, Canelo might be all you need for a star receiver. You know, like you're saying, he's not your typical tight end, but, uh, I look at the defensive side of the ball. And I think they have a solid mixture of NFL cast offs and also all football veterans. Like you're saying, like obviously coach Stoops is going to have a tough team and likely a winner this year. Let's what you no know, on paper. I understand. We still have another supplemental draft to come, but from what I'm seeing, they likely have a winner. Are they the winner? I don't know, but they likely have a winner.
1: I would agree. I think like what you said, um, the alternative football leagues are different. It's not the NFL, you know what I mean? So it takes a, a certain kind of player to be very successful in leagues like this. You know, so having that experience in those other spring leagues is incredibly important. And we just talked about twenty-six players out of a I think a forty-five man, fifty man roster at this point that came from spring leagues prior. So I think that's a very important decision and a very smart decision by Bob Stoops and his staff.
0: Well, Take a look at his staff. you got the Hayes brothers, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're not new to the spring game. They know what they were lo- you know what they were looking for, what they competed against, and all that stuff. So yeah, I think this team is gonna be pretty solid and I mean, good for the you know the Renegade fans, but I mean, we still have one more draft,
1: so we don't play the games on paper yet, so <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh-huh. although I do wanted to say. you you said not many XFL players from 2020 ended up on the roster that they were on Dallas, I think had the most uh, with five players going from Dallas to Arlington. So that was kind of cool to see. Well, yes. I mean, there are some cases, I know there's a
0: couple also did it with the defenders as well. So, I mean, it's, it's, but as a vast majority, it wasn't the case, but yes, in some cases, like, you know, I did previously mentioned it did happen. And, but you said how many total was it? I didn't have that number. It was, uh, it was five with, the renegades i don't have the total number overall that's i mean that's actually to me that's what i would have hoped for for each team yeah because it would have just been enough that it felt like it's not just the name and a comeback come back three years later but it almost feels like oh hey you know that guy i've kind of rooted for before and he's been here and kind of you know could talk about the market and how we had been in 2020 you know to the new you know whatever just kind of helps that connection you know that I mean, is it big yeah. for playing football? I don't know. But is it for the fan bases and stuff? Yeah, I think it would have been important. Yeah, I 100% you know, agree. DC Defenders, I think they're a difficult team to gauge. I mean, seeing Dungy is the only quarterback, Um, they didn't get one in the open rounds, did they? Am I missing somebody?
1: No, no, actually, that was very surprising. I expected them, of all teams, to get a quarterback in the open rounds, and when they didn't, that was, that was quite, quite surprising to me. All right, so I, was,
0: I had initially put my note down here. See that he's the only quarterback on the roster, it's hard to visualize the passing game. Like I had mentioned, Dungy is a dual threat. Who set several records at Syracuse University. But because of his playing style, he is injury prone. So I mean, that's kind of tough. Like just knowing that it's rare that he's ever really put in a lot of games. Sometimes he'd be nicked, or he'd be just injured enough where he might be able to play some of the game, but not the entire game. So he's always kind of been in that, that limbo. Great athlete, again, it could be highlight reel. But they do have some veteran receivers: Cannon, Cobb's, Ferguson. You know. But they just need to have somebody that can consistently get them the ball. So that that's going to be the question. So you know who else is going to be in that quarterback carousel, so to speak, and who who's actually going to be the guy. Um, So at the the moment, I'm I'm just I'm not seeing it. And I know like uh, it comes back down to their first overall selection. If Abraham's really the guy, maybe they'll be a run dominant team. And if Dungy somehow ends up staying healthy and he's dual threat. Well, that could be a dangerous team there enough that maybe the pass doesn't have to be the focal. It just has to be complimentary that if you're always thinking that the quarterback's going to scramble and you have a solid running back, you know, you have to always worry about the run and not necessarily the pass. And that could just open up a passing game anyway. So, again, I mean, I'm not seeing it, but it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Houston, Houston, I'm just going to say this. They will not be undefeated this time around, folks. Okay. I hope the next Facebook is not going to hate me. I think they need to buckle up. This is not the best team in Texas. Okay. Last time you were. This time you're not. And I'm, I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm not going to try to piss anybody off anymore than I probably already have. Okay. Is, am I being too bold with that? Um,
1: I don't think they'll go undefeated. But I'm a fan of this roster, actually. Uh, I like a lot of guys on it. And maybe it's just because of my ties to, uh, you know, the little lesser-known FCF and leagues like that. Because uh, they picked a couple guys. One of my favorite guys in the draft was Bryson Alene, the last pick there. Uh, he's actually a guy I interviewed in the past. So I was very excited to see him get drafted. So um, he he's a guy that... He came out of a d1 school you know he didn't really get an opportunity and he went to the fcf led the league in rushing and now he's you know here with houston and he's one of those guys that a lot of people don't really know uh similar to Killins, you know Killins hasn't really made a name for himself garrett owens very very versatile player extremely interesting guy he actually played running back in college and he moved to tight end. He's listed as tight end for Houston. But I would expect to see him in the backfield, split out wide as receiver, in line as a tight end. Uh, Cedric Bird, another FCF guy, solid, solid number two receiver. I wouldn't have selected him number one overall. But uh, they seemed to like Deontay Purnett and Justin Smith, who they picked next two rounds. Uh, so there's a lot to like. But at the same time, I, I was kind of surprised that they didn't lean more heavily on NFL experience. Uh, A lot of these guys, you know, they might've been in camp once or twice, but they didn't really make it in a practice squad or, you know, been on a roster for any length of time. So uh, there is that aspect to the roster for sure.
0: Well, you're not the only one that obviously thinks the Roughnecks did. All right. We'll get into a little bit later if we have time, because I I sent you that link. Somebody else uh, rates their draft pretty, pretty decent. So again, I, Probably just the outlier. I'm I, I'm just not going to say any more to piss off the Roughnecks next fans because I might lose some listeners. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> sorry, uh, guys. Sorry, the Guardians, the Orlando Guardians. Perhaps uh, they should be renamed some variation of the FCF Guardians. <laughs> that's kind of a big takeaway. So you're right. I think that's going to be tough to really gauge. How does that transition? Uh, on a serious note. I love that they picked up Dantes Bird and tight end Ryan Becker. I I love those two um, pickups. So, I mean, this is a team that I think is the greatest unknown for me. I as a Guardian fan, that's kind of it's intriguing, but it's also kind of nerve wracking at the same time. I just your your thoughts.
1: The, uh, the Guardians, I personally, I like their roster a lot. Yet again, yet again, my FCF bias showing through. Um, in my personal opinion, a lot of people are going to see the name Andrew Jamil and not have any idea who he is. But if you're an FCF fan, you know exactly who that man is. He dominated the FCF for two seasons straight. Uh, personally, I think that he's going to be very exciting to watch. Um, I think he could potentially be in the NFL next season depending on how this, this season plays out. He had a workout with the Patriots this offseason, uh, didn't ultimately get signed. But he's one of those really shifty slot receivers best known for uh, his ability to kind of uh, change direction. And he'll leave defensive backs just completely turned around in space. And, um, you know, there's a couple other players that really intrigued me on that roster. One of the guys that I really wanted to talk about was Mitch Kidd. Uh, Mitch Kidd is a quarterback that led the league in the FCF in passing. He also spent some time in the CIF with the uh, 2022 champion Selena Liberty. So he has a little bit of background in the indoor game uh, that I think makes him a lot more accurate as a passer. And he's a little bit more of a pocket guy, so he'll be exciting to watch. Um, There's a lot to like about this Guardians roster in particular. I think that a lot of people are currently sleeping on them. But by the time the season rolls around, they're going to surprise some people. I just think it's a wild card. I mean, I, I can't go
0: either way, whether I think it's – but, I yeah, Jamil there, he's um, – I've watched some more highlights after we were talking, after your special. And, I mean, I had seen some before, but I really dug in a little bit more. And, again, we just got to see how it translates, uh, you know, from the indoor and outdoor, you know, games are, you know, traditionally a little bit different. So – but he does look very impressive. But I don't want to get my hopes too high. That's why I didn't really mention them previously. I'm like, yeah, that could be a solid pickup. But I'm like, but we'll, we'll kind of move on. The San Antonio uh, Brahmas, despite Heinz Ward being a former receiver, I know we mentioned this during your draft special, I believe this team is going to be smash mouth football. I believe they're going to be a, a, a run first team. Um, they'll definitely be focused that way. Uh, depending on quarterback play, they could also have a competent passing game. I'm uncertain on the defensive side of the ball. perhaps Ward and company will be looking to beef up the defensive unit in the supplemental draft. but I mean again, it it also could depend on how the quarterback play uh, figures out. So I, I know it's pretty generic, but I'm just I'm starting to look at the overall units without trying to jump in on too many individual players.
1: Yeah, it can get time-consuming really quickly when 400-some players are drafted in one day. Um, When my prep to kind of be like, Mike, you got to –
0: I know people probably want that deep analysis, but I'm like, we're just
1: not going to have the time. Exactly, exactly. Speaking of which, uh, I said 14 FCF players. I was incorrect because Brandon Silvers actually played there last season as well, too. So 15, 15, my mistake. Um, but yeah, Brandon Silvers is kind of the big question mark here. Actually. Um, I personally was not a big fan of him as a quarterback prior to his time, um, with returning to Houston. I mean, I I didn't think he was all that impressive in the 22 or 2020 XFL. I didn't think he was all that impressive last season in the FCF. Um, I personally, was kind of hoping that he was one of the guys that was not going to be in a position to be a starter because I don't think he's necessarily that caliber of quarterback. And I don't ultimately think he ends up being the starter. Um, They selected Cole McDonald in the open round. um, And that's a guy that I expect to see. But uh, in terms of the San Antonio Brahmas, um, they're going to be a very run heavy team. I mean, if you wanted any indication of what they're, philosophy is going to be you look at those top two picks i mean they bring in jacques patrick and calvin turner i think patrick's like 236 pounds you know what i mean so he's, he's a bigger back he's going to pound it in in between the tackles and uh, if you really think about it heinz ward might have played receiver but he's noted as one of the best blockers ever and he played for the pittsburgh steelers i mean a team that always runs the rock so we should we should have kind of seen this coming i didn't expect it either um, but, yeah, he went very running back heavy, very tight end heavy. I mean, his first seven selections, he took three running backs and two tight ends. So, I mean, that tells you everything right there. And then a lot of his receivers are guys that um, I, get, I guess they don't really uh, wet the palate, so to speak, here. Uh, they, they're they not really the most exciting group. But uh, I think there's some talent there, and ultimately I'll be – excited to see how it all comes together because I do think that uh I like a couple pieces they've got there on offense
0: well just to touch on to what you said about Heinz Ward right yeah he was definitely a blocking type of receiver never shied away from contact and even if you ever go back to when the the players used to always do those uh polls about who the dirtiest player is and stuff he if he wasn't the dirtiest he was always up top there so it really isn't shocking that the team is going to be a contact type of team, right? Smash mouth. I mean, we don't know because we haven't seen it, but looking on paper, it definitely appears to be that way.
1: Definitely. Definitely. I thought it was also kind of surprising, um, given the fact that Heinz Ward doesn't have a whole lot of experience with spring football himself. His roster is actually built of a lot of spring football players. I mean, Zraquez, Patrick, Jalen Tolliver, DeAndre Goolsby, all former Viper players, Tenny Adewusi from the Dallas Renegades, Malcolm Bunch from DC uh, defenders in 2020. Terrell Bonds came from the USFL, Brad Wing from the AAF. Uh, They got four different IFL players and an FCF offensive lineman as well. So they kind of collected players from everywhere but a lot of these guys have previous alt league experience which i think is going to be key. With the Seattle Sea Dragons. Offensively i'm kind of eh
0: but defensively i think they're going to be solid. I mean i really like the Nico uh, Lalos and Jordan Evans pairing them with a complementary secondary. I think any offense is going to have a hard time actually putting up, up points. I just, this is how I'm looking at it. I mean, maybe this is the first team that I'm very excited about the defensive side of the ball and not so much on the offensive side of the ball. Thoughts?
1: I personally think you're right on the money there. I mean, there's a lot of defensive talent on this team. One of the guys that I like a lot is linebacker Jordan Evans out of Oklahoma. Uh, He's got some NFL experience. I think that he's going to be a solid, solid player for them. And then uh, there's some defensive backs to like as well. Antoine Brooks, solid guy. I'm pretty, pretty big fan of his. Uh, Quinterio Cole, another guy. And then uh, Kendall Karch uh, from St. Norbert. I actually had to do a bunch of research on that guy because I had not heard of him before. But he actually, he's impressive. And there's a lot of guys that kind of like sneak onto these rosters that you might not have heard of because of their college careers were at a smaller school or whatever. And he's one of those guys that I think uh, is going to turn a lot of heads this season. Uh, he got some NFL opportunities before he ever ended up in the XFL. And coming out of St. Norbert, a school I've never even heard of before, um, that's pretty impressive in itself. So I think he's going to be a guy that's, that's definitely going to surprise some people and probably leap off the board when he finally gets on the field. I'm loving the smaller schools. This is the
0: first draft, I mean, that I can really think of that it was pretty – Pretty good, you know, mixture from where people play their collegiate ball. Yeah, so of course, there's still a lot more Division One guys. There's always going to be, you know, whether it's Power Five, whatever. But I think we got to see a
1: good mixture of people from all sorts of backgrounds. It's awesome. I I would agree. I would agree. I mean, uh, Seattle is a perfect indication. I mean, their third round pick was from New York State Albany. I mean, that's not really a very big school. Uh, you got guys from. Southeast Missouri State, St. Norbert, Old Dominion. I mean, you know, there's a lot of smaller schools. It's cool to see. It's cool to see. I mean, these guys don't get the looks from the NFL because of their college background. So for them to get the opportunity at the XFL, that might be the step that they need to make it to the NFL. And that's what these leagues are all about, right? Well, right. So hopefully it works out. It's not a crash and burn, you know,
0: as an overall experiment. So I mean that's what probably some people are going to always say oh it's an experiment let's see how but if that is the case it just needs to work to help other guys from these schools to keep getting their their shot moving forward as well. Exactly. As far as the St. Louis Battlehawks, I think they have a legit veteran quarterback in McCarron, who when he actually played, I mentioned this before in the National Football League, he did well statistically, but he rarely played. That's the problem. So, at 32 years of age, can he get in and just do it consistently and not just in garbage time, so to speak, or in a couple moments here and there. So as far as Ryan Willis, I think he's, he's unproven, but it'd be interesting because he is paired now with a true veteran. So I, I think that could be very good for his, his, um, his development, but I do believe McCarron will probably be the guy out of the gate. So I am intrigued by this team. I think Brian Hill, Jordan Thomas, and I'm a little indifferent on the receivers, but I, I think they're going to be a pretty interesting team. I, I think there's some, some talent there that Colin Nation will be satisfied with. That's just kind of how I take it. As far as the defensive side of the ball, I see a fairly average team. Not great, not bad. I just think they will be competent as a unit,
1: though. I would agree. I would agree. I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of Brian Hill. I'm excited to see what he can do uh Darius Shepard former general's receiver I think that was a solid pick Abdul Adams out of Syracuse another guy that I'm excited to watch Javani Haskins there's a lot of guys on this team ultimately that are very encouraging um Channing Stribling that that guy right there I am so exciting um I was a Philadelphia Stars fan from the USFL so he led the league in the interceptions for the USFL last season in seven games he had seven interceptions so I'm excited to see what he can do with the battle Hawks uh, with a lot of talent around him. I mean, Quentin Meeks, another USFL guy, Um, D'Angelo Ross, another USFL guy. So Tariq Lewis, I believe, spent some time in the NFL. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of guys on this roster to like. And I think uh, Anthony Becht might be the Dan Campbell of, you know, the XFL, but, I think it's in a good way. He's going to keep his team motivated. hes They're going to be very invested, and there's going to be no lack of energy in St. Louis. That's for sure.
0: I purposely did not mention stripling, so you could, right? I knew you were talking about it during you. your library. I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to steal his thunder. So, and sometimes I'm just going to try to save what I know will be your talking point without even previously discussing it, like in the lead up to the show. I'm like, when you were talking about,
1: I'm like, this is his guy. I'm going to let him have that. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that greatly. And hey, that's another one of those USFL guys that had previous XFL ties. So it's kind of like a homecoming for him too. So uh, definitely fun to see. So
0: last but not least, the biggest Vipers. They are going to be good. Okay. Yes. I, I'm, they're going to be good, right? So Arlington... Might have a winner. I mean, I'm pretty certain it's going to be a winner team, but I think this is the team here. This is just my take, folks. I think it's going to be the Vegas Vipers, despite they don't have a stadium to play in yet. So they might be the you know having to figure that out. But I think the team is solid, proven with an alternative football quarterback in Luis Perez. When you pair him with Martavius Bryant, like you had said, oh Jeff Bidette and Jade Blacknell. Oh, I'm looking at these guys that have you know some experience and I'm like you know what Luis is going to take advantage of guys that have been here and have done that and kind of are more proven as a professional so anything on the outside new additions as far as newbies to the league that's just frosting on the cake to me I'm like I think he's going to do well with this team and I think they're gonna spread the ball around that's just my take
1: uh, I I agree I agree it's going to be a solid roster for sure. I like, I like a lot of what they did. I, I like how one of the things that you said when we first started here was the fact that you wanted to see experienced top-flight talent in the first rounds, right? So they picked Martavis Bryant and a former NFL All-Pro and Vic Beasley with their first defensive front seven pick. So those two picks alone, I didn't even need to see the rest of their roster, and I was impressed by what Rod Woodson did. But uh, they got a lot of guys on offense, like you said. Uh, you know, Jeff Badette former USFL Michigan Panther. DeAndre Torrey spent some time in the USFL. Um, John Lovett spent some time with the Rams. Uh, very solid running back. Uh, Matt Jones, former XFL Battle Hawk, actually. So this run game is going to be very impressive. Uh, their passing game is going to be solid with the receivers they brought in. One of the things that I wanted to highlight about Vegas that I thought was really, really cool is uh, one of the players they brought in actually played with the IFL Vegas Golden Knights last year. or Sorry, Nighthawks last year. So it's kind of cool to see that connection. Uh, Mr. Haril from Cal State Sacramento. So he's also from the California area, kind of playing on that, that Vegas area. I like that a lot. So what I find
0: interesting here, though, so we know that the, the Vipers do not have a stadium as we speak, and if they have, it just hasn't been announced. And there's all these rumors of what could happen, right? Are they going to play at Choctaw Stadium? Could you imagine in the XFL world that Vegas does not get a stadium situated? Doesn't get it figured out. And they end up having to play back in Arlington because that's where, you know, the, the hub is out of it. And that both the top two teams out of league play on the same stadium. I will, this is this is kind of how I'm seeing it, right? I'm not. I mean, it's still early. Yeah. We got a supplemental draft, and things still have to come together. But I'm like, how awkward is that? I yeah, mean, yeah. kind of, so to speak. That that is not spread the wealth in in
1: another market. It's just all kind of in one. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that is something that is becoming more and more likely by the day. I mean, if we're talking, you know, the fact that they don't have a stadium, I'm I'm so glad that you brought this up because I honestly think that's the most likely scenario at this point i I honestly think that perhaps vegas plays out at arlington in year one now i will campaign the xfl to bring them to colorado for a year we got a couple stadiums you could play in out here um i would be buying season tickets tomorrow but um that's neither here nor there i really do think that vegas ultimately ends up playing in arlington in season one and uh there's going to be a lot of xfl fans that are very very upset about that i feel the sad thing for me is that
0: good of a team could draw people and if it's the second team in the same stadium behind the namesake team it may not draw well and that i could see that one it's just it's a missed could be a missed opportunity now again we don't know for sure so i mean i'm kind of speculating but as the days kind of keep going by at some point you're going to start camps at some point, you're gonna, you know, and I understand that the hub's all there, but are you gonna send players out to a city to start that grassroots marketing to connect with the city if there's no stadium? Like, it just they're not even selling season tickets. Obviously, you can't pick a seat. I get that, but some there just seems like a lot of missed opportunity here. So, to me, if they had a stadium, they'd be selling tickets, not just taking deposits. So, yeah, it's 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 just a bad situation in
1: my opinion. I agree. I agree. It's a, it's definitely the, the big black mark on the XFL right now. And that's saying a lot because there's not a whole lot of them currently. So um, I definitely think that's something they need to get figured out sooner rather than later.
0: You had previously been messaging me back and forth in the lead up to this and you kind of were sharing down that um, I believe it was um, Patrick from XFL news hub that did a yes, breakdown. Sir. Some of the guys i don't have those right in front of me, I kind of turn my phone off so do you, do you have those numbers on breakdown where some of these guys all came from, like you mentioned the fourteen now fifteen players from the f c f and uh, can you kind of share that um because i I mean that's kind of your new sub family, so i don't i don't want to steal that thunder because that wasn't my my calculation so
1: oh yeah, so first of all, if you're on Twitter, follow nFL qB Um, I don't know the full Twitter handle, but if you need to know, uh, DM me or DM Michael and I'll make sure that we get the right guy to you. Uh, great follow. He's very analytical. He always follows like the contract information. He's the guy who's constantly putting out all the numbers, of what these guys have made in the previously, et cetera, et cetera. But he came up with a a complete number of 18 total USFL guys that have made the jump so far. Um, myself and an IFL head coach, shout out to Billy back from the Frisco fighters have worked together to try and come up with that number of IFL players. That's very difficult because if you look out, you know, like Wikipedia, all the big sources for information on these guys, they never list the IFL. So we've been kind of trying to dig through it. And our initial number was 15, but we're actually up to 19 now. And I think I'm going to find a couple more when I finish going through the other rosters. Um, I'm, I'm going one by one by one to try and get through every different guy to make sure I'm not letting anybody slip through the cracks. Um, and then the FCF had 15, like we spoke about. So, um, so far, I think I've only seen one from the National Arena League, but I think that number is skewed. I'm not very, um, very close follower of the NAL yet. Uh, so that's one of the leagues that I'm not super familiar with. But it's it's encouraging to me um, if you're a guy who plays indoor football league, it, whether it's the IFL, the FCF, or the NAL, there's 30-some guys that just got drafted out of these indoor leagues. And it shows that between the USFL and the XFL, they really do respect the indoor game. And that's important because that's where their largest talent pool is right now, is in the IFL, the NAL, the FCF, um, the CIF. You know, that's where they're getting a lot of these guys. If they're not borderline, you know, practice squad NFL players or USFL players that already came out of the indoor leagues, that's their biggest talent pool. So what does this tell me? What this
0: tells me is that these guys that were in the pool, right? They're on the outside looking in. They kind of feel like "Eh, they missed the opportunity. To me, you haven't. One, we've already discussed that the USFL is going to be sitting there potentially to pick up a lot of these guys. But well, for me, now with that partnership with the IFL, all of these guys should be taking a serious look at the IFL. And I'm not taking anything away from the FCF, but I'm just saying that partnership tells me moving forward that this is where the XFL is going to focus, probably more so on that arena game, that indoor game. So I mean, I think all these players should really take a look at the IFL. If the IFL is not the place where you then the C, you know, FCF then CIF and NAL, all these places, because Obviously, it is a path, a viable path to get to the XFL. They are not looking down upon any one of these leagues. So it's just something that I think everyone should be open to. And it's encouraging as well. Like you said, it's it just there's a plenty of talent out there. And, uh, you know, I just hope none of these guys just kind of sit and wait for the next year showcase and just kind of work out. I hope they go out and find a place to play and kind of try to perfect a thing or two. I mean, the indoor game is going to alter your game in places that you may have not realized you're weak. So that's what I get from all these guys that played indoor. They're like, wow, I didn't realize that, you know, as a quarterback, my release wasn't as quick as it probably should have been. Like, you know, my check down, I do, my checkdowns downs are way quicker, you know, and I, I get the ball out much faster. Like So that's, that could be huge, right? Because if the game's happening and it's on the line, that could be huge for, you know, even time management situations. and stuff. So, I mean, like that gives us strength. And then I hear from the receivers all the time about their route running made their route running much more um, on point. They just said, because the game just so much faster and, you know, cause the balls coming and you just have to hurry up, make sure you run your route. And if you're going to shake someone, you got to shake them. And so just, they kind of perfect that type of thing. So I think there's definitely something to be said from, you know, playing in the game to improve your outdoor um, chances.
1: 100%. And I'm, I like what you said there. I mean, if you are an XFL draft invite and you're currently not signed to a team, I personally think the IFL should be high on your list of considerations because that partnership is clutch. And right now, I think it's already benefiting the the IFL that they're able to draw more eyes from players that previously probably would not have considered indoor football. Um, Unfortunately, the reality is that the IFL cannot pay what the XFL does. That's why a lot of these players are trying to go there. And yes, you are going to take a pay cut playing in the IFL. But if that pay cut comes with the opportunity, to perhaps play in the XFL in you know the 2024 season after you've played a full year in the IFL, suddenly you're making all that money from the IFL and then all the money from the XFL. And then you know all of a sudden your, your full year of play is, is going to be very worthwhile. So I definitely think that's something that uh, the IFL was considering when they did this partnership. They knew they were going to lose some talent, but they also knew they were going to gain some talent because of it.
0: There's one thing I did. I did some quick math, so I, I hope it's right. I just ran through it really fast. Um, the one thing that really surprised me about the draft is the number of times that teams passed. And according to my, my math, it was 25 times that teams elected to not make a selection. That is kind of confusing to me. I'm a little baffled because what does it hurt to select somebody to bring them into your camp? What does it hurt to have some, another body there? This doesn't guarantee that you've signed them. Why not just select somebody, anybody to me, this would be the most outlier of players. You could have just selected at that point. People that you think were just, you know, the least polished, but might have some sort of athleticism or something. Bring them in. Let's see what they do. I'm kind of shocked. Cause I think that's, 25 more potential dreams that were just crushed because they didn't get that opportunity. So I, yeah. I'm not trying to, to bag on the XFL or the teams. Cause it looks like the, I don't have the defenders number in front of me, but I think the defenders did it the most of all.
1: I'm pretty sure you're correct. I mean, uh, it was very surprising when we were doing the draft stream. I'm not going to lie. It was getting very grueling. I was ready for the draft to be over and then all of a sudden, we're waiting for picks to come through, and it's just creeping, creeping, creeping. We're not seeing anybody come up. And then all of a sudden, one guy comes up after four passes. And then all of a sudden, the draft is just over. And we're like, what What just happened? Like It, it literally was like a 10-minute delay before we got one pick, and then the whole draft just ends. So it was kind of very weird to see um, that whole draft process, I think, It could have been a lot more streamlined by the XFL, but you're right. I mean, I don't see any downside to selecting those players. I mean, even if it's guys that you don't ultimately see lasting on the roster, you're allowed to inflate your rosters up to 66 players in the offseason. So, why wouldn't you? I mean, especially if you're just giving that guy the opportunity to learn the playbook and be prepared for training camp to really give it his all in a training camp battle. And maybe you unearth some you know, diamonds in the rough. I mean, I know one player for sure right off the top of my head, uh, guard Zach Thomas. He was a rookie last season. He went to the Naz Wranglers of the IFL and won a championship in his first ever season. He then got accepted into the NFL Alumni Academy, And the only information I can get as to why he was not selected in that offensive line portion is the fact that he's six foot one. So he's a couple inches short as an offensive lineman, but he plays interior offensive lineman. To me, the height doesn't really matter. Uh, leverage is important when you're a guard, so I don't understand why a team wouldn't take a shot on a guy like that who, you know, he can't change his height what he can do is perfect his technique. What he can do is be athletically gifted, both of the things that he provides. And he's also a coachable guy. So, I mean, why not take a leap at that guy? You know, he's very young. He has a lot of room to develop. I mean, there's a lot of players like that that could have been selected in those late rounds. And it it just didn't make a lot of sense to me either. It would have been the perfect opportunity just to select undersized people to see what
0: they really had. I I think that it's... Everything that was marked against the guys, but they were rated so high in certain other areas, whether it's from showcases or wherever, from the, the breakaway data, why not go ahead and let them go up against all these guys at training camp? Does that inch really make a difference? To, you know, exactly. uh, or, or two or three inches or whatever. I mean, there's some definitely undersized guys that, you know, that I had Interviewed in the lead up, and that was the biggest knock against him. He's like, "Well, I'm really built more like a safety." And um, um, Khalil, like, I was having a moment on his last name. So, yeah, Patterson. Yes, thank you. So sorry, Khalil, that I, I just blanked in your last name. But like, he was undersized. He's like, "I'm really more built like a safety," but he's like, "I'm really like the edge guy, you know, an outside linebacker." Sometimes he, you know, get up on a end. But like, the reality is, why not bring a guy in like that? Just just bring him in. It doesn't hurt. I mean, I'm not saying it has to be Khalil, but I'm like perfect example that if the knock is his size and he can't handle, well, then let him prove it in, in camp. But if everything else is, you know, rating off the charts, then what's the problem? Cause you just gave up and you didn't bring anybody in that to me, that seems like a, a, you know, a loss all the way around, not just for the player, but for the teams, because there's opportunity for you to look at some additional players, but that's just, just my take.
1: No, I a hundred percent agree. I mean, We talked about it and there's a couple different people that have the take that, well, you know, this is opening up opportunities for guys in the supplemental draft or in free agency in between or whatever it may be. But at the same time. What what do you lose again? You know, I mean, what are what are you losing by having the player on your roster now, even if you end up ultimately releasing him? You know, that player is getting coaching that he probably wouldn't have gotten otherwise. You know, maybe he's developing as a player and he's going to be in a better position to go somewhere else. Or, you know, maybe you call him back later on when injuries occur because he knows the playbook. He's been in your system. He knows your coaches. So stuff like that makes a lot of sense. I mean, um, we always hear about NFL teams having like their their kind of street team, you know, emergency squad or whatever. Guys they can bring up that aren't necessarily on their practice squad, but are kind of like you know, on the back burner and that's what these guys could have been. And I know a lot of people who are players don't want to be that obviously, but at the same time, if it's an opportunity and it's a chance to get your foot in the door, maybe that's what you got to do. And I mean, um, speaking of it, shout out to Khalil Patterson, who just got signed by the Fayetteville Mustangs of the NAL. I uh, wanted to throw that out there really quick, but yeah, I mean, there was a team, lot of right? guys. He's from yeah, Fayetteville. exactly. Yeah. So kind of cool expansion team at that. So he gets to play on the first ever, um season for them so super cool but um definitely it's just one of those situations where it it doesn't make a lot of sense no matter how you look at it I don't really see an opportunity for um that to go poorly in any way so I mean you know yeah you might have to release some people that were on the squad for a couple months you know when the supplemental comes around but ultimately those guys are going to thank you for the opportunity and I guarantee it
0: yeah, I can't can't agree anymore with that. It just it just it just kind of it kind of breaks your heart a little bit. And I act like I'm over your tearing up, but it just kind of like it just it doesn't sit right with me. It just seems like you could at least give the guys something to put on their resume that they got drafted or something. Even if you wanted to cut them, it just it seems like a couple of things It could have just boosted those those outlier players.
1: Exactly. And actually, one of the things you just brought this up. One of the things that I was kind of surprised to see is that there weren't a lot of MLFB players. That got drafted, and uh, that was one of the the groups that I expected to see a lot of talent come from. You know, guys like Cecil Cherry, uh, one of my guys, Brooklyn Hardiman. You know, guys that were solid players that had the talent to play on the outdoor level, but didn't get the look because you know maybe the league collapsed too quickly. You know, if they played their four games, maybe those guys ultimately do get the call. Um, but there was a lot of guys left on the market that have that experience now. From the MLFB, you know, I know it was a short period of time, but they did get, you know, professional level coaching. You know, they did develop in that short amount of time. So that's something to think about uh, for these other leagues looking at players.
0: Well, they even got to play in those scrambles, right? Is that what they call the scramble or whatever? They had a bunch of teams just playing. kind of like a round robin type of situation. Exactly, yeah. I mean, yeah, short-lived or not. But I mean, to me, that just shows how hungry guys still are, right? They're not waiting for the bigger league. The more recognizable league they were, they wanted to play. So they had an opportunity, they were going to take it. But I mean, I I think, I think there's always something about that player, how hungry they are, how bad they want it. And um, yeah, that's kind of unfortunate because, yeah, there was a lot of guys that got burnt that way and then they're still on the outside looking in. But hopefully, maybe with the USFL, you know, they'll also take a look in that route because
1: they got it, they're going to have to replace these players one way or another. Yeah. I mean, if I'm the USFL, I might go sign, you know, every MLFB free agent there was uh, because the the coaches and the staffs that were with the MLFB were very legitimate. You know, Terry Shea, he's a, he's a NFL coach. He's a, a guy who coached in, the I believe, the Spring League as well. So, you know, they, these guys were very quality coaches. Jerry Glanville, another one. So, I mean, why not take a look at those guys?
0: I sent you Emory Hunt's. XFL draft grades
1: mm-hmm.
0: and um, I, did you get a chance to look at him for I actually did not know
1: but we can go ahead and go I'll go. read it
0: off to you anyway I have her here for me Emory's pretty legit in football I mean I think anyone that knows of him knows he's pretty legit he's been covering it I mean he's, he's got ties uh, CBS sports and all that so if you don't know, come up but we'll go through it here really quick so he gives the Arlington Renegades a B And he believes that their focus and needs are tight end and pass rusher.
1: What do you think? That's (laughs) odd. I mean, personally, I think their tight end room might be the best in the league, but that's me personally. Uh, I'm a big fan of Emery. That's that's one of the takes that I think is a little odd. I think the B is
0: sleeping on them because I think they might be the second best. Roster that I'm that I'm looking at now. I understand Emery's a professional, no doubt, right? He's been doing this for a long time. So I'm just a podcast host, but I'm like, I'm kind of shocked that Emery has them at just a B. So yeah, I mean, I agree with you, tight ends too. I'm like, okay, cash yeah, rusher, sure, sure. all right, sure. I'm not going to argue that everyone's going to need extra help someplace. So I'm not heck, like anybody's perfect. So moving on to the DC defenders, he gives them an A <laughs> and their focus and need is quarterback which obviously with one quarterback on the roster that's not a shock and it's not you know a shot at dungie but i'm i'm not sure about the a plus <laughs> I'm like i'm not here to argue with emery but i'm like okay okay
1: um yeah i'm not overly familiar with where emery's based out of but i, I kind of wonder if he's not in the dc area with that little bit of bias shown through there Uh, but, uh, I personally think DC had a solid draft for sure. Um, but an A plus, I don't know. I might switch those two grades around if it were me. I am more in agreement with you. I think, uh, moving on to the Houston
0: roughnecks. I know you like this roster from what you said earlier. He gives them an A with a focus, uh, a need of tight end. But I mean, I, I, I know I, kind of left it without getting in too much. So obviously I don't see an A team, but you like the roster. Do you think it's an A team?
1: An A draft? I think that's a little optimistic. Uh, I I would definitely go as high as like a B plus, but even that I think is stretching it a little bit. And uh, I, sorry, Bryson, if you see this or you hear this, Uh, you know, I, I really like that they selected you, but there's some questions about the rest of the roster there. Um, like I said, I do really like Garrett Owens, their tight end that they picked up top. But he's very small for a tight end at 6'3", 215. So, I mean, there's a, a situation where, you know, maybe he's going to be more of like a kind of slot receiver move type guy that's all over the formation. So, yeah, tight end is a definite need for them. Um, I would definitely try and address that later on in the supplemental draft and bring in a guy who's going to be like a starter. And then uh, some of the questions that they've got are, you know, again, the, the size situation, you know, there's the Terrence Mitchell, I think it was, that he brought up. That's like 5'10", 214, and he might be playing linebacker. So uh, there are some players that I really do like on this roster, though. And actually, he points one of them out, and that's Brandon Easterling. Uh, Brandon Easterling is a ball hawk. I think he produced something like 11 or 12 turnovers, despite the fact that he was a backup for his first two seasons of his career. Um, there's a couple other guys there in Houston in particular that I'm really excited about. Um, so I personally do like the roster, but I think that's a little bit of an optimistic grade for sure.
0: The Orlando Guardians, he gives a B. Now, I did say that this is kind of my the great unknown for me. I mean, I it could go either way. I mean, I, I could see it. I, I am a little excited about some of the guys on the roster, but again, I got to see how it comes together. So a B. He says focus on a running back, which to me is not really surprising. Thoughts?
1: I personally agree with this assessment. A B is a really good spot for them. Um, I Personally, there's still quite a bit of questions about how some of these indoor football guys, the FCF guys, can transition. Um, But I'm encouraged by the overall talent of the roster. I think there's a lot to work with there. And uh, I think that he highlighted a one big player that could be a, a lot of excitement brought to the team. Uh, I'm probably going to butcher his name, but Dooley Artisdale Jr. from Bethel, uh, 6'3", 220. So anytime you can have one of those big body dominant receivers that is very physical, I think that's a a very important thing for a, a spring football team.
0: The San Antonio Brahmas, he also gives a B, and he says that their focus and need is receiver and pass rusher. I think a receiver could definitely help. Right, because we already know that they're essentially stacked at the running back position. They're going to just run the, run the ball. So I I kind of agree with this, the B I might've given them a B plus. I
1: mean, I don't, I, I think it's a little low uh, on that roster, but yeah, it's close. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I I'm personally, I'm okay with the pass rushers they have. I mean, I guess there's probably a little bit of a room for improvement there. Uh Wide receiver definitely needs some help. Definitely needs some help, but uh, I think it's a solid roster, and I'm with you. I would probably lean a little bit heavier on the B plus to A side. So the St. Louis Battle Hawks, he hasn't been a B plus,
0: and his list. The focus and needs are quarterback and pass rusher. I think that was a competent team, so I think the B plus is probably accurate. I mean, I guess technically anyone could be looking for a quarterback if if the right quarterback was available, right? So, I mean, so, okay, possibly pass rusher again, like, you know, who doesn't want extra help, you know, go at a quarterback. So, yeah, I'm not going to, I can kind of agree with this. I mean, definitely, I think the, the B plus is probably accurate.
1: Yeah, that's a fairly accurate grade. I like what he said in a lot of these breakdowns of the players. It makes a lot of sense to me. Um, this one, I think, is is really on point. Um, I had some questions about the top end of the draft, uh, but ultimately, I liked what they did in the middle rounds into the late rounds. So, I think it's going to be a very fun roster to watch in twenty twenty
0: three. The Seattle Sea Dragons. He gives them a B plus. And a focus of a quarterback. Uh, all right. I mean, I'm not, yeah, I, he's probably about right.
1: Um, I personally like their running or their quarterback room. Uh, like I said, I'm a Steven Montez guy. I, I think Ben DiNucci has a lot of talent, so he's going to be an interesting, interesting quarterback to watch. Um, so that, that seems kind of odd that he goes there. I think he might have some insight into what the team is thinking. If he's saying that, um, cause I have heard a couple of these teams do have, uh, NFL level guys on practice squads right now, that they have already talked to, and most likely will be bringing in. So maybe, uh, maybe there's somebody that we're not seeing right now that could be added. Um, but I really do like what he said about Brendan Knox, the running back, uh, Anybody, t- Anytime you can compare uh, anybody to Deuce Staley, I'm a fan of it. So that's always awesome. But uh, I personally think that there's a lot to like about this roster as well. And I like that he's not necessarily rating anybody super low yet. You know what I mean? We just don't know enough about these rosters and how the league's going to shake out for anybody to really have you know, bombed the draft yet.
0: I mean, the B-plus seems... Right. The quarterback, I kind of wonder if the he's not going to put no needs because everybody needs something. Right. I mean, it's, the reality is any team is not complete. Uh, so is a quarterback like the default thing to put in, you know, needs or, or a focus? Uh, or is it that he's also maybe hearing that one of those guys might also have still a shot with the National Football League? Because if that happens, there's got to be an out clause, even if they sign contracts. I know last time in 2020, they, we kind of ran into a situation with um, Josh Johnson, where the league didn't really let him out. But this is kind of some new ownership, and I bet you they're going to make sure they're not going to ruin any chance at legitimate talent. So there could maybe he's hearing something that one of those guys might be heading out too. So that could be a possible one.
1: That's a good point. That's a good point. That is one thing that I had not considered. I mean, Perez has obviously gotten some uh, some looks from the NFL in the past. I'm sorry, I'm getting a, skipping ahead of myself. Um, yeah, there's. I mean, it could be. It could be that that could be the situation. I mean, there it it'll be fairly interesting to see. I mean, obviously, Danucci and uh, Steven Montez are both very competent quarterbacks. So yeah, I could see either one of them signed by an NFL roster again.
0: And then, lastly, because you're. They're jumping to Perez, so we might as well just finish her off. <laughs> he gives the Vipers a B plus, which I think is a little low because I I think this is my, this is the team. I think this is if I had to pick a team right now, I would pick the Vipers as the front runner, so to speak. And then he says, "Focus needs their quarterback as well," which I think Luis Perez is competent, and I think he is going to stay put. I, I don't think he's going to head back to the NFL. So I'm kind of. I'm kind of shocked with the quarterback, unless it's just he listed it because anybody could use a better quarterback. I mean, because if there was a Pro Bowl quarterback available, I guess any team would be happy to take him.
1: You know, that's a good question because, honestly, to me, Luis Perez makes the most sense for a long-term starter for the XFL. Uh, He's a guy who's pretty much exhausted all of his opportunities to go to the NFL you know, the one look that he got this past season was with the Rams. That's a team he's been with before. They had some injuries at the quarterback position. They knew he knew the offense. So maybe, you know, maybe somewhere someday down the line, the Rams come calling again. But I ultimately think that he's a guy that's probably going to stick in the XFL. And I think to say that they need quarterback, maybe that's a uh, a long-term vision. You know, you want somebody that you can maybe develop behind Perez. And maybe he's not sold on McClendon. Um, but To me, this is one of the better quarterback rooms in the league. I mean, you got two XFL quarterbacks that played in 2020. Uh, You've got guys that know a couple of the coaches on the roster. They know the the GM. That's why he was selecting these guys, because he's very familiar with them. So I think that's a personally one of the quarterback rooms that makes the most sense to me. So, yeah, I would probably add a third guy, maybe even a fourth guy for camp. But I think your top two quarterback spots are pretty solidified at this point, unless somebody very surprising comes in, like a Colin Kaepernick or, you know, some big, big name guy that we didn't see coming.
0: I thought it was important when I saw his uh, his piece, you know, rating right the teams and kind of his breakdown. And I know we've probably been recording here far longer than we wanted to, but anyway, I thought it was a good thing because he, he does this for a living. I mean, he, this is his nine to five, right? He gets paid to do this and we are, um,
1: trying more, to get I guess, there.
0: You know, oh, I mean, I, I would love to talk radio all day long if that's the case, but I mean, I just don't see that happening in life, but, um, yeah, I mean, so we're, we're fairly average, right? For opinion. So I, I just wanted us to get ours out there first and they kind of come back and, uh, kind of compare it. I mean, I, It's always interesting to kind of see how the pros, the experts, kind of rate things compared to us uh, alternative football media members. Exactly. So other than that, uh, I don't really have anything that stands out. Was there anything left tied to the draft that you think should be said that hasn't
1: been? Uh, one thing that I did want to point out that I thought was a little bit odd is, you know, we have Vegas, who only has two quarterbacks. We've got D.C. that's only got one quarterback. And then over here in San Antonio, we got four. <laughs> so they've already brought in four quarterbacks. I thought that was a little surprising. I do really like Reed Sunette, former Philadelphia Eagle, of course. Uh, Jack Cohn, another great quarterback that they brought in from Notre Dame. So, I mean, both of these guys have a lot of talent and that's going to be, I think, as close to an open competition in San Antonio as you can get, but to already have four quarterbacks in that room and we haven't even hit the supplemental draft, that was a little bit surprising. I mean, I think that it was a smart move though, because, you know, your quarterback room is very open, bring in all the options. You know, you've got a long time to figure out who your guy is before the season comes. So, you know, give those guys an opportunity to prove themselves, see who the best fit is. And then, move forward is that guy, I mean, that's a good approach if you're not sold on Jawan Pass or, you know, one of the other top guys that you brought in. Well, that kind of just makes me wonder if there's also
0: the whispers that somebody else might still be in the running for some NFL interest. So, you know what I'm saying? So maybe you just stock up and you think either way you're going to be covered with three. It could be just a possibility. In, In the open rounds, I guess at that late, You go after some guys that has some National Football League experience, it doesn't hurt, right? And if you still lose them, okay, then it's unfortunate. But if you can get the guy, I mean, in the earlier rounds or allocation, it's probably important to get somebody you know that's likely going to stick. Probably the wave thing, that's my thought process of what their wave or their thought process is.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. I mean, you do definitely protect yourself to, against that. I mean, if you lose a quarterback, you still got three on the roster. If you lose two, you still have a competent quarterback room. So it makes a lot of sense, especially this early on. And then uh, but one of the other things that I think is really intriguing to me about the uh, supplemental draft is the fact that we already know Brian Scott's in it. We know Kirk Benkert's probably going to be there. And then there's a chance that Jordan Ta'amu's in it too. I mean, that in itself, where do these guys land? You know what I mean? Like, if you look at these quarterback rooms, I could see maybe Orlando taking another quarterback, somebody a little bit more experienced. I could see San Antonio maybe trying to pick a quarterback, uh, one of these guys specifically, bigger name. But after that, where does Scott land? Where does Tayamu land? Where does Kurt Benker land? I mean, those those are big questions left to answer. And, you know, we're already outside the draft. So I think, you know, for XFL fans, it's going to be a very fun couple months to find out exactly You know where people are going. You know, kind of follow all the tea leaves and and read the crumbs and all that stuff. And uh, you know, follow Mike Mitchell because he's probably going to be dropping some crumbs on exactly what's going on. But it's going to be a lot, lot of excitement coming over the next couple months as we get closer to the season. I personally think, no doubt,
0: Sam. It has been a pleasure, and I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule because I knew you were swamped for this month. To come on to the show to discuss this past week's XFL draft and the quarterback assignments. I really enjoyed it, and uh, I would love to have you come back sometime so we can
1: just further discuss XFL developments as they, they arise. Definitely, definitely. Well, thank you so much for the invite. It was a lot of fun. Uh, you obviously are very intelligent, very knowledgeable. So, it was, you know, it's always fun to find more Spring League fishing autos because uh, we're few and far between, it seems. So uh yeah I would love to come back and thank you so much for joining me for my XFL draft coverage. So if you if anybody didn't catch that, definitely go tune in. Um you know Michael was joined it was nice enough to join me when I was kind of in the the doldrums of the end of the draft there and I was losing all my co-hosts cuz they had other prior engagements. So it was very nice of him to hop on and kind of bail me out there for the end of the draft. Uh well, so yeah, I look forward to uh future collabs for sure. Oh,
0: yeah. I mean, I appreciate you you know, asking me to come on to your show. I know it was a little bit shorter than I wanted to until the dinner bell got rang and I had to go. But uh, I mean, I appreciate the kind words that you just said as well. I mean, I, I'm i am a firm believer of bringing people together. I know we all are affiliated with different uh, news outlets, whether it's the News Hub teams, the XFL boards, the, you know, um, XFL newsroom. You know, we all come from, but I, I think we're all if we'd meet in any circumstance at the field, we'd all be best buds. We'd all be at a tailgate together, enjoying food, drinks, whatever, and just high five and join, you know, football conversation. So I'm a firm believer and supporter of bringing everybody from every corner and try to come together, whether it's, you know, when I'm asked to come on a show, I have not turned down an invite yet is, you know, and I hope I never have my schedule twofold not to do it, but I, I am blessed to have people like you come on, because, you know, I think it makes us a better community because sometimes you see a little bit of that rift between people. And I think it gives the, our community a, a black eye, so to speak, and maybe more so with the league. And I think that's kind of why the league was uh, asking some shows to rebrand and stop using their uh, intellectual property and kind of now going to do some things. So I think in the, in the big picture, we're stronger together and we'll go. Uh, places we we can't fathom. It'd be, it'd be awesome if we do. So I, I appreciate it. But before you go, can you take a moment? Because I know you, you've got a, a number of things that you're involved in. So this is your opportunity to plug uh, yourself and
1: everything that you do. So where where can they follow you and your work? Okay, so I do write for USFL News Hub, XFL News Hub, CFL News Hub. I cover the Ottawa Red Blacks specifically uh, and the Philadelphia Stars. I do not cover an XFL team. Uh, I just kind of write about a little bit of whatever interests me. Um, And then I also have my own platform that is Shady Sports Network. You can find us on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, uh, basically any of your favorite social medias uh, or any favorite podcast platform. I think we're on eight different platforms at this point. And then we also have a website where we're producing articles on a near daily basis. Uh, We cover NFL, USFL, XFL, CFL, uh, IFL, NAL, CIF. Um, my thought is that the indoor game needs a lot more love. So I'm trying to bring a little bit more light to the indoor game, which is producing all the talent that we're watching and loving in the XFL, the USFL, you know, a perfect example is Kevante Turpin. You know, he was just the the poster child of the USFL and he came out of the IFL and the FCF first. So, you know, we need to kind of give legitimacy to these leagues and I hope that I'm doing it in the proper way to uh, kind of, hopefully draw in some more fans for these leagues because I think those guys deserve it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. And I'm looking forward to the rest of the the growth that we have going on here and the next year of spring football coming up. Well,
0: awesome. I appreciate it, man. And uh, everyone, please take a, take a moment and check out Sam and his work on all the platforms he mentioned. So it'd just be kind of cool to support him and, you know, another fellow alternative football media member. And the more support we get, the more we can hopefully continue to push forward and provide the content and information that you crave. So it'd be be
1: awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you.
0: Well, you're welcome. Well, thank you. And uh, we'll hope to do this again sometime. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. It was a pleasure. Sam is a busy person. So I am fortunate to have the opportunity to have him on the show to get his insight on the XFL draft and quarterback assignments. If you are a hardcore football fan, Sam and his Shady Sports Network is a must-follow. So check him out over at ShadySportsNetwork.com. This week, we have a fan line message.
1: Hey, Tony Marizio here, uh, at Mr. Tony Marizio on Twitter. Uh, just wanted to drop a line here. Huge fan of the uh, vipers and uh, who they scooped so far um big follower of mcclendon the guy just whips bullets got love it gonna be doing some hurdling um Bryant, man he's gonna be uh he's gonna be a big act in vegas I'll tell you that for sure and uh jen walter and the uh defensive uh team there um picking up pj dawson always got a kick out of him always got a kick out of his game um but, yeah, man, I'm uh, the XFL draft so far has been exhilarating. I'm extremely pleased with the way the Vipers are turning out as they're going to be my go-to with the Wildcats being gone. And um, keep up the good work, Mike and Player54. Looking forward to what you got for coverage this season. Thanks, guys.
0: Tony, we appreciate your kind words and message. We value your insight and contribution to the show. Like Tony, if you have a comment, question, or hot take and would like it to be heard on the show, Reach out to the fan line by calling 863-TALK-XFL or 863-825-5935. Doing so, your message could be included in an upcoming episode. All good things must come to an end. This concludes another episode of Player 54 Podcast. As always, I am interested in receiving your feedback. So do not be a stranger. Reach out to let me know your thoughts. And if you do so, your comments might just make it on the show. But before you go, do not forget to subscribe and rate the show on your platform or choice. One last thing. If you're interested in checking out our friends over at Royal Retro's by 503 Sports, do not forget to click on the link in the show's description and notes, as well as that sweet code, Let's Talk XFL, for 10% off your purchase. Thank you for tuning in. Till next time, cheers.
1: Thank you for tuning into today's show. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Player 54 Podcast on your platform of choice. You can follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Player 54 Podcast. Do you have a question or topic you would like to have addressed on the show? Message the show via social media or send an email to player54podcast at gmail.com.